electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and our newest Fast Money trader, James McDonald, CEO of Hercules Investment. Special welcome to James. Hope you know what you're getting into. Tonight on Fast, Salesforce gets to work. The stock tumbling in the after hours following earnings and officially announcing plans to buy Slack. The company's call just kicking off. We will tell you what they are saying about this mega deal. Plus, vaccines gone wild. One top biotech analyst says... The vaccine makers are trading more like Bitcoin than biotech. He'll tell us why. And later, it is a story we all needed in 2020. The McRib is back. We'll bring you all the juicy details straight ahead. We start off with a record day on Wall Street. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 hitting new all-time highs led by big gains in tech. Check out some of these moves. Facebook and Apple both gaining more than 3%, while Alphabet soared to a new record. So as we kick off the final month of this year, you stick with the big cap tech trade guy. Well, first of all, what does that mean, what he's getting himself into? I want to say James McDonald, on behalf of the entire Fast Money family, both in front of, behind the camera, on the sides of the cameras, welcome our newest member of the CNBC Fast Money family. We're thrilled to have you. I know CNBC is thrilled to have you. And I know Melissa Lee is thrilled to have you because I do believe you both attended the Harvard and not the online <laughs> one, the actual one in Cambridge. So welcome. Is it, oh, maybe he didn't hear me. Anyway, he says, he says but uh, let me answer your question. <laughs> is he, is that they, so, in ter- so, you know, it's funny. We said Fast Money Family. The Pied Piper of this Fast Money Family, in terms of a lot of stocks, specifically Google, has been Karen Feinerman for years. She'll speak to it. It's her biggest position. But to answer your question, can these continue higher? Absolutely, yes. And although I'm absolutely skeptical on the broader market, Google's been a name that I've sort of been steadfast in as well. And you go back to the last quarter on October 30th. It was an amazing quarter. Stock had a huge run into earnings, had a huge run post-earnings. And we actually said that night that despite the 12 13% move over the last 24 hours, the stock was probably cheaper then than it was two days prior. Here at $1,800, it's still only trading 29 times next year's number with a huge cash hoard and probably 21 22% EPS growth. So... To me, in that F-MAGA complex that Dan Nathan likes to speak to, that's the name you want to stay with, Melissa. And Karen, we've talked on this show, and you have talked specifically about Google or Alphabet, as they call it these days, uh, and the re-rating it, it, it deserves. So you're still a believer here. What carries it higher? Well, I am still a believer here. I think that there's a little bit of what carries it higher is uh, a little Tina, right? There is no alternative. But as Guy pointed out, that last quarter was just phenomenal. So to be this big and keep growing the way that they have. And remember, that was even with travel really not doing particularly well. So I think we're going to be in a much better place for travel advertising anyway. Um, so I'm hanging on to Google. I'm not selling any of it here. I like it. It is my my favorite of the, the MAGA complex, but I own pretty much all of them, except Netflix, which I guess isn't technically a MAGA stock. Brian Kelly, do you have doubts about this F MAGA trade? 
uh, Dan loves to call um, in terms of market F, leadership F because you have, you have to believe yeah. in FMAGA in order to believe in the overall markets or vice versa. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, what we saw uh, over the last several weeks and months was that there was this rotation out of your FMAGA or MAGNA, however, whatever acronym you want to use, into some of the cyclicals, some of the small caps. And you saw a lot of these stocks, particularly something like Apple, trade sideways to down. And that was really just a rotation. It wasn't necessarily a reflection of the fundamentals. So when I look at these tech stocks now that have been sideways to, to down over the last month, now I've got some, the fundamentals haven't changed that much. If I look forward, we're going to have some kind of stimulus. And you know what? Even if the economy gets worse, I've got the Fed and I got more stimulus, which would be good for these stocks. And then the last thing, let me throw out the macro part of it. You have a very weak dollar and a lot of these companies are multinationals. So all those tailwinds to me seems like these things are ripe for a, I don't know what you call it, a re-rotation back in. A re-rotation. And James, you've been mm -hmm. calling for a big pullback in the market. So that re-rotation would fly in the face of what you are predicting. It's true, and thank you so much for the warm welcome. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to offer an opposing view. These companies have gone so high so far and for so long. Uh, if someone hires me today, I've got to buy low and sell high, not buy way high where we are here. I like VolQ to protect myself uh, against an imminent pullback. And at these levels, these markets can't continue to go higher for much longer. So we want to be defensive here, even in big tech. So what does defensive mean, James? Because you're, you're long vol Q as a hedge, but that implies that you are long the market still. I mean, people aren't hiring right. you today to be in cash. Right. Right. So in emphasizing where to put capital right now, we want to initiate positions in VolQ because it gives us exposure to benefiting from all the risk that's in this market. And it's cheap here. And so we want to initiate positions on VolQ, um, protect ourselves against all the tailwinds that are potentially facing the economy. Uh, this vaccine, there are so many uh, uh, issues as to getting the vaccine to the public. We're really, really cautious here. VolQ, VolQ, VolQ. It's the new VIX for tech. You know, it's interesting in today's market, and BK, I know this caught your fancy. Uh, bond yields, they stayed elevated throughout the session, even though the markets pulled back later in the session. We saw uh, industrials, for instance, go negative on the session, and yet 10-year yield, 0.92, a solid 0.92 for, for much of the day. Yeah, so what's interesting about that, and if, if, if there's anything that would concern me about the market, or I would think that is kind of, you know, what could turn things around, turn things negative in the market, it's the inflation aspect of those bond yields. So that's really what's being, in my view, priced in here. So again, weaker dollar, we know that that uh, has an effect on commodities and raw materials prices, That will, those will go higher. But look at, if you look at inflation bonds, so these are bonds like the TIPS bonds, those type of things, you know, folks at home can look at TIP, that's the ETF. You look at that, and that, that hit almost, uh, well, not quite all-time highs, but highs for the last year. Uh, in other words, the market participants are anticipating some more inflation. So why is that bad for stocks? In the beginning, it's okay. As Milton Friedman said, all the good stuff about inflation happens in the beginning. But eventually, that starts to erode your earnings, and people have to readjust price-to-earnings ratio. And if you have a very high price-to-earnings ratio, like a lot of these tech stocks do, if you start to erode it with inflation, that's going to be a problem. To be clear, that's not today, but that's something that BK is watching. You know, Steve Leeson makes this point, um, and that is in the beginning, uh, Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell will pretty much be on the same page in terms of their belief in fiscal and monetary stimulus. 
when the rubber hits the road and in terms of where they could start disagreeing is when things pick up in that environment where inflation starts to manifest itself in, into the economy. Karen, are you worried about that? Because the markets right now are looking to the other side, to the days when we have the vaccine. And part of that, at some point, is inflation returning. Right. I'm set up for inflation returning. When I think about some of the things in my portfolio, mm-hmm. I agree with BK. At the beginning, a little bit of inflation is good. But, you know, I think it will help the banks, for example, a little bit of inflation. But beyond that, that's where sort of the Bitcoin story can really explode if you get into hyperinflation. And that will be bad for stocks. But I'm not really so worried about that in the short term. I think the biggest hurdle, I do believe that Yellen and Powell will be on the same page. But I think for them, I don't know if this stimulus package, I don't even know what's exactly proposed right now. I don't know if a stimulus package that's big enough can get through Congress before December or even after. And it's really going to depend how the Senate goes to get a better sense of that. But I'm skeptical that we'll see, I think that 1.6 or 8 trillion, we're not going to see anything close to that, even if Yellen and Powell both want it. Mm. All right, today's rally may be the start of something even bigger, at least that's what Fundstrap's Tom Lee says. He says when the market is up 10 to 15 percent on the year heading into the final month of the year, as we have seen in November, we see December gains 100 percent of the time. Tom joins us now. Tom, really? 100 percent of the time? Um, that's history, so history doesn't have to repeat, but it does confirm you know, a general view that strong markets and strong. So we've had a great year to date. Um, I mean, we're up double digits, I think, in shocking contrast to a depression that we've just gone through. But that also means that December shouldn't be weak. It should really finish strong. Does history tell us which sectors finish strong? I, I think that the consolidation we saw in the last three weeks really revealed leadership. You know, markets were kind of churning. Um, but the epicenter trade, which I guess people call cyclicals, gained almost 20%. So I think as much as I, as much as I think big cap tech and fang maybe have a bit of a catch up in December, I think the real fireworks is going to come from the epicenter. From the episode, so you would be long there. What, what happens after December? December is a very short time frame for investors. I understand this is called fast money, but January 1st, what's your guess? I mean, are we, are we pulling forward gains from 2021? Um, I mean, I, I, I think 2020 pulled forward gains, certainly for some future period. So I, I think 2021 is going to be tricky um, because I think 2020 was a lot about market symmetry. You know, we fell very quickly and we rebounded really quickly. But now in 2021, that's no longer the case. So I think everything you guys talked about are really important factors, you know, that the economy is recovering there's probably a renewed expectation of inflation risk. Maybe inflation doesn't happen, but the risk does. But I think that the real story is going to be operating leverage. So I think stocks that can show a little bit of top line, but a huge amount of flow through net income are going to be the real attractive stocks in 2021. Tom, it's Karen. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, just kudos to you for some outstanding calls this year multiple times. I got a question, though, about this 100%. Anytime you say 100% of anything, it sort of makes me want to bet the opposite. In that period of time, how many years qualified to set up for that December that you referred yeah. to with the market was up 10 to 15%? Yeah, there's, um, well, there are 75 years between 1945 and today, and of which 13 fall in that 10 to 15% range. And 
So 100% of the time, you had gains. Now, there are 23 instances where you were up more than 15% year-to-date, and the markets were up 77% of the time. So you're, you know, if you were to blend uh, all the sort of 10% plus years, you're still going to be in the almost 85% range. But the, but the, but the amplitude of the gain is still like over 3%. So we're talking about 100 points on the S&P. I love when Karen questions the quality of the data. Tom, i got to turn you to Bitcoin since we've seen this run here. Um, your forecast is for a triple next year. You stand by that? You want to ratchet that higher given, given the run that we've seen? Uh, yeah, I, I think that what that triple is based upon is um, the year after the halvening. So Bitcoin had a halvening this year. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is up almost uh, 200%. So it's had a great year, but it looks pretty textbook compared to prior halvenings, which cut supply. But it's really the year that follows the halvening. So 2017 was a year that follows the halvening. And, and as you know, that's really when you see the fireworks. So I think 2020 is a little bit more like 2016, where the rally was starting. So 2021 would be like 2017. And as you know, 2017 was a pretty insane year for Bitcoin. And I think something similar could happen. Tom, always good to speak with you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Tom Lee of Fundstrat. We will have a full write-up of Tom's December forecast, by the way, on our website. So check it out, cnbc.com slash pro. In the meantime, uh, let's trade that. 100% of the time, Guy Adami, December is up. You buy that? The only thing that happens 100% of the time with me is if I applied to Harvard, I would be rejected 100% of the time. That's guaranteed. Short of that, I don't Listen, Tom Lee has done phenomenal work. Karen mentioned that. And he's been steadfast in many of the things that he said. And they've all come to fruition. So I'm not going to argue with him on this point. What I'll say, though, to the earlier points, the things that concern me, and I share some of James' skepticism, is the fact that there is inflation. I think BK is being kind. There's inflation in all the wrong places. And, oh, by the way, the U.S. dollar getting torched is inflationary, regardless of whether or not the Fed, Janet Yellen, whoever, wants to acknowledge it. That's very inflationary. And Citi just put out a note a week and a half, two weeks ago, saying 20% decline in 2021. Risk assets might go up in that scenario, but the ones who outperform the resource stocks and the mining stocks, and we've talked about that for a while. 155 quickly in the TLT, that is your line in the sand. That probably comes in around 98 basis points or thereabouts. Yeah, the steel ETF hitting a new high in today's session. Goldman Sachs going full bull on uh, copper and copper's run that we've seen so far. James, you've done some work in terms of historical patterns, and you found not what Tom Lee has found. Right, and I echo the sentiment um, that Tom is brilliant at what he does in analyzing these data. I've had the pleasure of sitting on a few uh, presentations with Tom, um, inarguable the past, but we've heard the word unprecedented in 2020 an unprecedented number of times from an unprecedented number of people. All types of records have been broken. Uh, We've seen literally records shattered almost every month, almost every week in the data on stocks, in the data on earnings, valuations, GDP metrics, and so on and so forth. And so I am short this market. Um, I am short the S&P, and I will remain short until inauguration. Um, And I expect that this will be the exception of that trend for December to finish positive. All right. Coming up. We are all over the after-hours action shares of Salesforce. The stock is lower after reporting results and announcing plans to buy Slack. 
The company's call is underway. We'll bring you all the big headlines. And later, Moderna staging a major reversal today. And one top biotech analyst says the stock is trading more like Bitcoin than biotech. He'll tell us why, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Salesforce. Shares are down 4% in the after hours. Despite a strong beat, the company announcing it will buy Slack for nearly $28 billion. It is official. Let's get to Deidre Bosa with the details. D. Melissa, I have been listening to a very amped up Mark Benioff on the Salesforce call. It took him 17 minutes. He finally said, let me get to what I'm really excited about, Slack calling it our ultimate vision. Now, the deal turns the combined company into one of the biggest players in enterprise software. Slack's Stuart Butterfield will stay on to lead the now Salesforce operating unit. He and Mark Benioff together will take on Microsoft Teams. Benioff, call, uh, Benioff also calling this a match made in heaven. Salesforce investors, however, they aren't exactly pleased. Just three months ago, Mark Benioff all but promised that he wouldn't do any more big deals on the last earnings call. He said, and I quote, Melissa, we are not in a good M&A environment. I just don't see it. Maybe things could change. Of course, things always are changing. But I think this isn't part of our plan right now. So what did investors do? Well, they settled in for margin improvement and a higher level of operational leverage after the last two large acquisitions, MuleSoft and Tableau. Instead, what they just got was CRM's largest acquisition ever and a new leg in its battle with its much larger rival, Microsoft. Now, long term, of course, this could work out. It could help Salesforce expand beyond its core front office software, but Slack's quarterly earnings, we got those two, by the way, they're a reminder of why that company has been a relative underperformer among the work from home names this year. Revenue growth of 39 percent. That is down sequentially from about 50 percent. And it is far from the surges in revenue growth that we have seen from other stay at home names like Zoom amid the pandemic. Back over to you. All right, Deidre, thank you, Deidre Bosa. And don't miss Jim Cramer's exclusive interview with the Salesforce CEO, Mark Benioff, to dive into the company's quarter. That is at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Let's trade this. Did you mention the two other big acquisitions that uh, CRM has been involved in? It spent nearly $50 billion in the past two years, Guy, on deals. And for a guy who said that big deals aren't uh, in his wheelhouse, uh, that's interesting. Buying growth. And, you know, listen, first of all, as Dan Nathan pointed out, Debo knows and the T-shirts will be available this holiday season, number one. Number two... <laughs> Um, it's the quarter's fine. I think what you're running into here is the fact that they, I think they completely overpaid, and that'll, I think that'll come to, 
for which at some point the market will understand that. And the fact that valuation is now all of a sudden a concern. And oh, by the way, go back to August 26th when this stock was trading 205 and he had a 26 percent move post earnings. So what I think you're seeing here is a complete 180, you know, a complete round turn of that 205 to 288 level. And I do think there's a chance this stock settles in somewhere between 205 and 210. I know Jim's going to have Mark on later, and that typically is a positive catalyst. But given the valuation and given the environment, I think you could see that 205 level, Melissa. Yeah. BK, you like CRM plus a Slack? You know, yeah, I have, I have liked CRM. I think the concern that you have here, at least investors are going to have, is that is this a signal that the CRM internal growth is slowing? And we're seeing that sequential growth slow down. They still have unbelievable growth, but you're seeing that sequential growth slow down. So investors are going to say, wait a second, you know, I was invested in a company that I thought was growing, that I thought handles on it and said, I'm not going to do any more investments. And all of a sudden they come out and do this. So you can have some disgruntled shareholders. Secondarily, you have tech um, mergers like this near tops of markets are traditionally horrible investments. So to Guy's point, it's probably overvalued. But, but, and it's a big but, you do have Mark Benioff, Benioff at the helm, and he's not a guy that I ever want to bet against. So I would use any weakness over the next week or so to get back into or to establish a position in CRM. Karen, Karen, you buy that argument that this is some sort of signal of some sort of top in software or in technology or in CRM specifically? I I, I understand that theory. I mean, I think what BK is getting at is the rate of growth is slowing, but Mm -hmm. the rate of growth is still extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I just bought some just a little bit before the show at, like I don't know, 231-something, 70. Um, I think it's interesting. I think Benioff deserves the benefit of the doubt, right? That Tableau acquisition, I think, was a really good one. And then remember, the, this is, I think, it comes out to, I don't know, $17 billion in debt. I just looked at the, what their debt, they're paying 1% interest on eight-year paper. Mm. I mean, so if they can buy something at less than 100 times earnings, it'll end up being accretive on that part of it. That's sort of just more financial engineering. But I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. So I like it. I, I bought some. I think that, um, I don't know. I, I, he's, he's done extraordinary things. I think he can do a lot with Slack. And I think he will get the benefit down the road. You bought some CRM, Karen, on the back of this deal? Yes. Okay. Yes, just today, just mm. tonight. James? I was an owner of Tableo. I love data visualization. I love companies that get bought. It's a good way to make money. Uh, I don't like this for Salesforce. Slack purchase puts Salesforce last in the mega communications race. Slack is not profitable. It has negative cash flow. And the user base growth this year is only 20% versus 1,200% in Zoom versus 500% in Microsoft Teams. Uh, you know, Oracle and Zoom and Microsoft SAP, those are strong existing partnerships. It's going to be a tough market to crack. $27.7 billion. Um, this values Slack well over the $17 billion market cap. Surveys say it's much easier to use Microsoft Teams uh, if they're already using Microsoft's and most companies that don't went to Zoom. And so I don't like this for Salesforce. Like it for Slack, though. (laughs) Right. Coming up, vaccine volatility. One top biotech analyst says these names are trading more like Bitcoin than biotech. The one name he is calling out for ridiculous moves. And later, delivering gains. A big call that sent shares of FedEx to a new all-time high today. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are just getting big news on the vaccine front. The CDC just completing its vote on new guidance over who should be first in line to receive a COVID vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the news. Meg. Melissa, this literally coming in just within the last seconds to minutes. And this outside group of advisors to the CDC has voted 13 to 1 that the absolute top group in prioritization for the COVID vaccine should include healthcare workers and residents of long-term care facilities like nursing homes. Now, the debate today was really whether the long-term care facility residents should be included in that top group. Of course, they are the most vulnerable to severe disease and death from COVID. There are about 3 million people in that group. Uh, and in the healthcare worker group, there are 21 million people. And of course, healthcare workers are our front lines against this pandemic. So so as we are going to have such limited supply of these vaccines at the beginning, that's why this group needed to talk about the prioritization. There should be about 20 million doses available uh, for people in the month of December. Uh, and so that won't completely cover that group of healthcare workers at 21 million and uh, nursing home residents with an additional 3 million. So some considerations are going to have to be made even within those groups. And that will be probably made more on the local level. How will you uh, prioritize within healthcare workers, for example, Mel? But that news coming through, the absolute top list of the priority for the vaccine, healthcare workers and people living in long-term care facilities. Melissa? Uh, in terms of that, I have a couple of quick questions. 20 million, and that means 20 million times two. So it's 20 million people can receive the full two-shot dose of the vaccine. And then after it is allocated on the federal level, is it up to the state to then allocate to various hospital systems and nursing homes? And then from there, it gets allocated once again within that subgroup? Yeah. So the way it's going to be allocated from the federal level is just on a per capita basis, the number of people in each state over age 18. They're going to divide it up that way and send the shipments to the states. And they're going to come out in shipments of a few million at a time. The first one of Pfizer's vaccine should be 6.4 million doses, so enough for 3.2 million people. Um, and then within the states, they make their own priorities about where those vaccines will go. And so we're going to be hearing a lot more about that over the coming weeks as the states get their plans in order. And we learn about this complicated process of this vaccine making its way out. But this is the recommendation from the CDC's advisory committee about how the priorities should be set. And then the states can do what they want to do. They don't have to follow these recommendations, but it is to try to give guidance. All right. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, uh, with that uh, breaking news out of the CDC, let's bring in Jared Hulse, a healthcare equity strategist at Jeffries. Jared, great to have you with us. Any surprises uh, to how the CDC allocated? And, and I would think that the devil's in the details in terms of beyond this, how the vaccine gets allocated. For sure. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I appreciate it. Not really surprised at all. We've been speaking for months about 
who would be first in line, so to speak, to get these vaccines, essential workers, uh, the elderly population, you know, Meg mentioned the nursing home facilities getting, um, you know, first to, you know, the first available shots that are that are sent by Pfizer or Moderna. I think that that totally is in line with what we had felt coming into this vote. So nothing ultimately that surprising into tomorrow. All right. Um, I want to uh, get into the trade behind one vaccine maker in particular, Jared, because the stock move intraday was really interesting. And of course, we're talking about Moderna, which traded up to a new high in today's session above 170, well over that, uh, and then dipped lower uh, midday. And I'm wondering if you think if, if you know of any news that is behind this whatsoever. Well, the company seems to be releasing press releases on a daily basis, so it's very, very difficult to sort of ascertain what matters and what doesn't matter. Um, but just looking at the trading volume over the past, call it three to four weeks versus the prior month, we've seen volume accelerate or multiply by three, four, five times, in some cases even higher. Today would be, you know, one example of that happening. So in my mind, you know, the, the trading activity has to be coming from non-institutional buyers that seem to be buying either the stock outright, Moderna shares outright, or they're buying a basket of these vaccine stocks because we just haven't seen names like this trade um, with these characteristics or these traits in such a long time. And it you know, makes me think of cryptocurrency, makes me think a little bit of Tesla. Um, I've been using that as a comparison as well, just in terms of not having any true valuation framework, but the stock getting bid up every day. I think today was a reflection of the fact that these, you know, the stocks, Moderna and some of its peers mm -hmm. probably got too overheated. It's really, really tough to call the top or a ceiling. The valuation doesn't really seem to be um, all that relevant day to day. But looking at how these things are trading, they're all trading pre-market um, fairly aggressively every day. And they have been for the past few weeks. So that sort of, you know, tells me that there are some there's some trading activity that is a little bit abnormal. Some might argue, just to play devil's advocate for Moderna, Jared, that uh, the proof that the vaccine works is, is basically proof of concept for the rest of their platform in terms of vaccines. And when we spoke to the CEO, Stefan Bonsell, on Squawk Box the other day uh, on the release of this second round, this sort of verification of that 94 percent number, he mentioned um, a vaccine for pregnant women to prevent birth defects. He mentioned uh, working on a better, more effective flu vaccine. Isn't that a good thing? Does that does that give Moderna, you know, a higher valuation because we know that there is proof of concept now? Well, certainly, I think the, the way the stock is performed on the back of the COVID-19 data itself is a reflection that investors are willing to assign some sort of value to the rest of the company, so to speak. And so, you know, the therapeutic areas that you mentioned, I think, are interesting. Um, you know, we can sort of debate on, on how big those market opportunities are. Certainly the flu vaccine market is something, um, and we discussed this last week, I think, where, you know, you're seeing pricing at a dollar, a dollar fifty per injection. So prices that are, you know, well south of the COVID-19 vaccine. So I, I guess the short answer would be yes, it validates the platform. Um, you know, the flip side of the coin would be how big are these markets? And, you know, at, at one point today, uh, the stock, it, this was the second largest U.S. biotech company by market cap. So, wow. you know, I think in some ways investors have already decided that, you know, the value for the company is larger than just the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. All right. Jared, we're going to leave it there. Always great to speak with you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Jared Holtz of Jeffries and our friend Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone sent this email out saying that uh, a total of 124 million shares of Moderna changed hands today for a total value traded in a single session of $19 billion. And that handily beats any other stock that is traded in a single day in terms of value traded in at least the past 15 years or so. Guy Adami, I thought what Jared had mentioned in terms of trading within a basket, trading as a group, that's really interesting because we've seen that time and time again. Yeah, and listen, Carter Braxton Worth is clearly in my head because I was going to mention the fact that the stock traded 10 times normal volume today. Obviously traded up to 178, I think. You saw the way it reversed, closed lower. By the way, again, kudos to Karen because I think it was a couple weeks ago she had mentioned that the difference between Pfizer and Moderna was the fact that Moderna was looking at this through more of a capitalistic lens, and that's that's borne itself out. This is what I would caution, though. This was a $60 stock a month ago. It effectively tripled uh, deep into the pool. And, and to the other point about valuation, I mean, you're talking about Amgen maybe has got $120 billion market cap, and then there's a big drop-off. If you're looking to play in the space, the IBB is about to break out above 148. That's your bogey. And the one that's really interesting to me in terms of biotech is Biogen, which just a look what that stock's done over the last couple months. Basically, 250 to 378, back to 250 on a couple downgrades on the back of their Alzheimer's drug. I think you got another shot to buy Biogen if you're looking for a trade. I'd rather be in Biogen for that return move than Moderna here at nosebleed levels. All right, coming up, a red alert in the energy patch. Is Exxon's coveted dividend in danger? The options market thinks so. We'll tell you what we spotted today. But first, we've got a fast pitch on deck. A pinch hitter is joining the desk to throw out her next best idea, why she thinks this stock is a safe place to put your money. That's a hint. We'll bring you the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Our next guest says there is big money in the business of protecting money. Should you armor your portfolio with this stock pick? Let's welcome back Nadine Turman, the CEO of Solstein Capital, for a guest fast pitch. Nadine, what's the stock you're pitching? Melissa, I'm giving you an actual cash cow. Brinks, BCO is the ticker. What I love about it is it's a vaccine rollout play. They've cut costs, so as there's a rebound when businesses reopen, you're going to see incremental revenues, profits, and cash flow to levels that are pre-COVID, number one. Number two, this is actually a growth story. Cash usage has been increasing 5 to 6% even through the pandemic, and they have a lot of penetration opportunities to have more retailers, more banks across the world use their services. They've been also rolling out new products and services. And three, the technicals are pointing higher. What do I mean by that? It's high short interest low ownership by hedge funds and institutions. It's not back to the pre-COVID levels of stock price and not covered very well by Wall Street analysts. And they have factor exposure. So it's leverage, high beta, small mid cap. Those types of securities do well coming out of a rebound. Nadine, I, I've got a question for you. I'm floored by that statistic that you had about cash, cash usage during the pandemic because I always thought that cash usage would have gone down. The trend overall longer term is that people are moving more towards digital payments. So does that concern you that secular, on a secular level, um, their business might dwindle? 
You know, it's interesting. It has been increasing 5 to 6% per year, Melissa. And part of that is, it's sad to say, but a quarter of the U.S., as an example, is unbanked or underserved by banks. So you have a lot of people who still use cash. And during a pandemic, people can't get credit. So you also have a wave of people who need to use cash. And that's coupled with internationally. Cash is used at a much higher level. And so we see it as, um, obviously, e-commerce is growing, digital payments are growing, but cash isn't going away. Guy has a question. Guy? Oh, I I do have a question. Hello, Nadine. Thanks for for hitting here. Listen, (laughs) you go back to that quarter, October 29th. That quarter was extraordinary. Their guidance was amazing. And yet this, and I know, I know this is somewhat of a rhetorical question, but the stock is still nowhere near the levels we saw in January, despite the fact that the broader market's been unbelievable. How surprising is that? And is that sort of the level that you're looking for in terms of the stock, which I think is around 90 bucks? Right. You know, I think you can get back to those levels. We think it's a, probably a 30, 40 percent return. But as you saw post-election, People are loving Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. We just talked about Moderna on your show, right? Is that there's this lust for this high beta um, businesses when here's a secret high beta business that we think is the best to get to come. So we'd rather go in the undervalued than the overvalued. All right. Stand by, Nadine, because uh, we're going to vote now. Are you buying Nadine's pitch (laughs) on Brinks? Traders, what do you say? BK, kick it off. Oh, for me? I say bring it on. Do you see what I did? That's a bomb. You bring it on. I like it. I, in particular, I like it. I would love to get it closer to $60. I, I've certainly missed some of it here. But I like Nadine's points, and I love the breakout that we have here. And I actually think there's something to say about collectibles as well in this space. Karen. Yeah, I, I like the pitch a lot. So great pitch, Nadine. But I'm going to pass. My question was exactly the same as yours, Melissa, which I find that cash, that was very surprising to me. And I think the headwind for the stock will be people will continue to think that will be a headwind, as I do. So uh, great pitch, but I'm going to pass. All right. It's split so far. James, what do you say? Sorry, Nadine. My answer is no. I love your technical analysis. I got to go fundamentals with this company. It's got negative profitability. It's Ford P of 15.9. It's five times the competitor's average of 3.65. Slow EPS growth for 2015 to 2020. Uh, Set to take a 17.7% loss this year. 25% next year, I'm afraid. I'm going to say no. Guy Adami, what do you say? Mel, can you read that uh, whiteboard for me, please? I can, but it's it's a conundrum. Even though I can read it, right twenty six, <laughs> left fourteen, right there. Oh, it's like a it's like a lock combination lock. Uh, right, yeah. that was my combination in high school. For those that, if anybody cares, if they want to go back to Croton High School and try to pick it, they might actually get some of my stuff. So I'm with Nadine. Uh, you look, Jana Partners just initiated a position in this. I think Hedgeye came out in the middle of November, best long idea. They have an accelerated stock repurchase plan. And I think on a decent to benign tape, you're going to test those January levels. So good job, Nadine, and write down that uh, combination. Do you still have your locker? Why do we need that? We don't need that combination anymore, Guy. I mean, that was like decades ago. Um, Nadine. What is it, Guy? Your shoe size and IQ and what was the last one? And it's in his childhood address. Uh, Nadine, thank you. Great to see you. Nadine Turman of Solstein. The traders are split. Um, It's America's turn to break the tie. Are you buying Nadine's fast pitch on Brinks? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll have the results later in the show. Meantime, coming up, 
One Wall Street firm betting that FedEx will continue to deliver gains. We'll break down the call that sent the stock to new all-time highs. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Barclay is out with a special delivery for FedEx, the firm upgrading shares to overweight, putting a $360 price target on the stock. Barclay says increased adoption of e-commerce during the pandemic will create opportunity going forward. FedEx shares hitting a new all-time high today. James, are you on board? I'm afraid not. There's a shortage of vans for this holiday season, which is going to be the strongest ever. Weak stimulus makes paying workers an impossibility. They're restricting the use of uh, uh, FedEx for Amazon Prime deliveries. Um, And things are going to get more tough as uh, the demand increases. So I think the stock is lofty here. Brian Kelly? I didn't really like how it traded today, so I wait for a a pullback. But I would add in, I like Prologis PLD. That's another Mm. way to play e-commerce. The warehouse play, so the other side of of things. Um, Mm -hmm. Guy Dami, I know that you're biased. Because obviously you were for, yeah, for UPS well, at one I worked point. At, yeah. yeah, I worked at UPS and I wore the shorts and people loved me there. They asked me to stay for another day and I had a decline. And I'm, <laughs> I'm torn here like that song. But I will say it's 16 and a half times next year's numbers. I think FedEx is still cheap. And my sense is Karen Feynman would echo uh, those, those uh, thoughts. Karen, do you echo those thoughts? I would indeed echo those thoughts. I think, you know, they talked about surpluses for the holiday season. I think that a lot of the e-commerce, obviously, there's a pandemic play in that, but I think a lot of it's going to stick. And then on the flip side, I think if we do have a reopen trade, those business deliveries that they make, those are higher margin because they're more concentrated. So that would help the mix. And I think they're, they're finally getting over the TNT uh, integration, and I think we'll see some ground um, FedEx ground and express integration as well. So I like it. I only don't like how far that it's run, but I don't think it's expensive. It's a decent sized position for me. All right. Coming up, a big warning for big energy. Why options traders see Exxon's dividend drying up. Mike Coe joins us with the action. Plus, there's still time to cast your ballot in our Twitter poll. Are you armoring your portfolio with Brinks? Vote at CNBC Fast Money. The results coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of ExxonMobil moving higher today. The oil giant announcing a $20 billion write-down and plans to cut capital expenditures to its lowest level in 15 years. So what's the outlook for the dividend? Let's get to Mike Coe and the options action. Mike. Hi, Melissa. So we've discussed this before. It is possible to extract from the options market how much it is anticipating dividends will be in the future. And for the integrated oil companies, they've looked like they've been in some danger, and Exxon probably more than the other two. Specifically, right now, Exxon is implying about a 50% discount or haircut to the dividends beginning as soon as the one that is payable next March, going all the way out to 2021. So as we take a look at the next four quarters of dividends, we get a sense, number one, that the dividend is going to be cut and also that it could happen relatively soon. And of course, the big issue for dividends with Exxon is their cash situation. The cash outflow, reducing their capital expenditures is certainly part of it. But that isn't all. Reducing the dividend might be the other part. Yeah. The problem for ExxonMobil, if they reduce the dividend, is they get kicked out of some ETFs, like dividend aristocrat ETF guy, that, you know, because they're not increasing the dividend every year. Um, but they do have a huge debt position. So it is a problem. They are burdened by that at 30 percent debt to capitalization versus right now versus 20 percent when they started 20 
2020. So uh, that debt load has, has just increased. It's not gotten any better, but in terms of the stock, I mean, they got kicked out of the granddaddy of them all, and the stock went from 31 to 42, and we actually talked about that 31 level being a bit of a double bottom. There's no easy money in any trade, but I think the easy part in the Exxon trade to the long side is probably over, and although maybe a cutting of the dividend 15, 20% ago would have been viewed as positive, given the run the stock has had, it might be viewed as negative now. Yeah, 9% yield right now. Mike Coe, thank you for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, it has been eight long years, but the wait is finally over. The sandwich we all know and love is making a comeback just in time to save 2020. We've got more on that next. And hurry, there is still time to vote. Do you think Brinks is a safe bet? Head to Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. Weigh in. The results up next. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is the story we all needed to get through the rest of 2020. After eight long years, the McDonald's McRib is back starting tomorrow. The saucy rib sandwich served on a bun and topped with pickles and onions will be available nationwide. I mean, if there were a drive through around here, I'd be and I had a car and I drove and I know that's a lot of ifs. I'd be online for that sandwich guy. You're, you're, you lied, lied, lied. You no, lie like a I rug. First of all, rib. you'd be terrified because, no, because you, you, you try to extract the bones in the McRib before you eat it, and that's nearly impossible to do. Makes for a very messy sandwich. So, I, I don't know. I was never a McRib fan. I just worry that you, know, you bite in one of those bones, and it's, it's over for the teeth. I think the dental industry is the real winner here, Melissa. No, they, they raised boneless pigs for this, just like boneless boneless chickens for boneless wings, right? That's the way it goes. Um, on the package, by the way, in case you didn't catch it, it says, your old friend is back. That is absolutely true. Mm. All right, let's find out if the Twitterverse was buying Nadine's fast pitch on Brinks. No one is safe from Twitter. The pitch did not seem to break through. Over 70% of voters said they were not buying Brinks, hence the dance version of this. Time for the final trades. Go around the horn, Karen. <laughs> Yes, I'm giving Benny off the benefit of the doubt. Bought some CRM, and welcome to James. Welcome to Fast Money. BK. Uh, I think you buy Apple. Big Tech is back. Mr. McDonald. Vol Q. Guy. AMD, Melissa. Ah, all right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Meantime. Do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.